Hello and welcome back to the Stuck In Between podcast. My name is Romy. And I'm Sandan. Thanks for joining us. In this episode, we unpack the topic of cultural appropriation. Cultural appropriation is the inappropriate or unacknowledged adoption of elements of a particular culture by members of another different culture in a way that's exploitative, disrespectful or stereotypical. To help us dive into this issue, we're joined by the one and only Rowie Singh. Rowie really needs no introduction, but for those unaware, Rowie is an amazing artist who has grown her brand through her self-expression and her incredible makeup and outfit looks. We were so stoked to have Rowie on our podcast and are equally excited to have you tuning in for our conversation with her. Now, without further ado, on to the episode. Rowie, it is an absolute pleasure to be recording with you today. Yeah. I am in awe of you, your style, your work, like just even outside of being a podcaster, I, amongst many brown girls in Sydney, I think have been following you for a long time now. So this is insane that I'm actually talking to you on a call. Like I'm trying to keep it cool, but this is this is really <laughs> cool. You honestly don't have to keep it cool. Like, <laughs> don't worry about it. I totally get it. And no, I'm really, really grateful. I think if I'm to make an impact with my like continents to have people like you follow me and resonate with what I do. So yeah, I'm so grateful for it. I got an all caps paragraph message from Romy in the middle of a work day on like a Wednesday, just being like, oh my gosh, Romy accepted. We're going to do this interview. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> oh, don't, don't out me like that. <laughs> like I know now. she's been outed. <laughs> um, Romy, I guess to get kickstarted, when we think of you as an individual, one of the first words that come to mind is creative. And I think a lot of people will probably say the same. I literally saw this girl on the train today on my way here to send this place who had these funky ass nails. And I immediately thought of you. Were you always that way? Were you always just as creative as you are now? I think deep down inside, I had this creative inkling, but it hadn't been nurtured. So like I went to an all girls private school, predominantly white. There was like two brown girls in my year. Mm. So like I never had the opportunity to explore my identity and I think those two things are linked identity and creativity I feel like I really like express myself through my art um and I I don't think I ever had the platform because no one really told me that I could and I feel Mm. like when you're at school Mm. there's a very prescriptive way for you to be creative it's like you must do it in this way and you're gonna get marked on it like it's very prescriptive and you also get locked in into like five career choices I feel like that was like this is this is what's on your plate and that's it and if you don't like it tough like that's how I felt in school in high school Mm. and I was like surely there is something more there's something more like if I wanted to do what I genuinely was passionate about surely it shouldn't be that hard like can't I just do it and can't I pursue something rather than pursuing something because it's going to provide financial security and stability so these were all the things that I was just kind of dealing with in high school I was like I don't know who I am Mm. I traveled a lot 
as a kid, mm. you know, for my dad's job, we um, moved to Connecticut and then mm. we moved to Singapore. So there was this fractured identity that I had to sort of deal with. And so I completely put my brownness, my South Asian-ness aside. I put that aside because I was like, I need to survive. And mm. I feel like for me to survive, it was just to kind of fit in. And I think by doing that, I think I erased any sense of creativity and identity. Right. And I thought I'll put that on the back burner because it's so much easier to be a more palatable version of Rowie because I will just fly under the radar and get along with everyone and it'll be sweet. It'll yeah. be fine. Yeah. You know, they got me through, but I came out of it and I was like, I I don't know who I am. Mm. I genuinely don't know who I am and I don't know what I want to do. And so here I am with like my commissar's degree. I was like, sure, commissar's degree. That sounds pretty standard. That sounds <laughs> yeah. like what people do when they leave school. <laughs> that sounds right. Um, but I was able to in uni, I was like, finally, I could wear what I want, do what I mm. want, meet people that complement who I am as a person, people who like will lift me up. I had like a new friendship group and I was like, I can... I just realized as an adult, you could do what you want. Mm. You can kind of do what you want. Yeah. Like you can dictate how you want to live. And I think through makeup, I was more like experimentation. So I was terrible, but I knew I had some sort of creative inkling where I just wanted to express myself. Mm. So I wasn't really too worried about like creating amazing content. I was just doing me. Mm. And I think that's how I sort of started to tap into something quite cool there because I just kept at it and it was very much linked to emotion. Like creativity for me was more about how did that make me feel? And colors spoke to me, like different colors made me Mm. feel different things. And through my creativity, I built my confidence and I became Mm. like the version of Rowie that was always there. She was always yeah. there, but okay. she just yeah. unlocked. Completely yeah. unlocked. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Just to your point about the colors you use in your makeup, obviously, mm. colors are a really big part of your creativity. Could you share a little bit about your relationship with colors? Because in many ways, it seems like almost a spiritual one. Mm. Yes, I think so. Like I have even have my like color wheel at the back because if I'm like stuck, that's why my house is so vibrant as mm. well. It just like lifts my mood. And I think. I just have an affinity to particular color combinations. And I think it's more about like taking bits and pieces from my surrounding and letting that inform my experience. So I'll take things like color and my lived experiences as a brown woman, and I'll mesh those together to create something that is basically a portfolio of my own experiences. Mm. It's just like a visual portfolio of who I am as Rowie Singh. And I think especially as a South Asian woman, Color is so part of our culture. Mm. Like it's also the way that we express. So I felt like it just made sense to lean into something that made me feel good. It just makes you feel good. And if I do a particular look that is, you know, quite soft and pastely, like that'll inform my mood for the day. I don't know. It's really hard to explain. Like if I do something really punchy and vibrant, I'm like, this makes me feel like really, really badass. And I think when you have that relationship with color, your world is your oyster and you can literally just walk out and like nature, everything is inspiration for you. And it really informs my work. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy because I feel like, especially nowadays, it's very, maybe not now, maybe like a year or so ago, it's very trendy to be very neutral, right? Like Mm. the whole like beige and if that's your vibe like that's totally fine like you do you I think I kind of vibe towards that as well but then you know instead of like muting who you are as an individual and just following trends you should just feel like you can be yourself even if it's against what's like quote-unquote like trending right now yeah exactly I just I used to wear all black constantly Mm. because black made me feel like cool like a little bit like edgier Mm. and then I had this moment where I was going to my nine to five and it was like 
you know, early 7.30 in the morning and it was just a sea of suits, a sea of yeah. black and navy. And I was working at a media agency. I could kind of wear what I want. I just stuck out like a sore thumb, head to toe in color. And I was like, I kind of love this. Yeah. Bring a bit of vibrancy to the Sydney morning train. Like, come on. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I think I go the other way where I love wearing colorful clothes or at least something a little bit more funky, but I don't have the confidence to rock it. So I kind of like dial it down a little bit. Mm. When you were starting to explore this a little bit more, how did you kind of overcome those internal barriers that you might have had? Or was that something that you didn't even have to think about? No, definitely. I think I spent so long worrying about what other people thought about me. I was like, I don't care anymore. And like, I think people really respect you when you lean into something that is so uniquely you. And you think people are making judgments, but they're making positive judgments. Mm. I think nine out of 10 times people are going good for her. And that looks really, really good on her. And I think that subconsciously inspires people to do the same for themselves. And I think because through social media, people were... I guess, praising me for leaning into myself. And I think that encouraged me to do it a little bit more. Otherwise it is kind of scary because you Mm. feel like, oh my God, is like someone looking at me? Like, is this strange and weird? But I think it's like you fake it till you make it, right? Like I just pretended like this was exactly me. Like this is the best thing I've ever done. And you just walk with confidence and people start to believe you, including myself. I started to Mm. believe myself that I was that confident person that I was trying to be. I finally became that person. So You just have to kind of be like, whatever, this feels right. So I'm going to do it. Mm. And yeah. Yeah. That (laughs) reminds me, um, I was getting coffee one morning at work and I work in Surrey Hill. So there's a lot of like cool people around. Um, And there was this guy like head to toe in this really cool, like green outfit. And this random girl walked up to him and was like, I love your outfit. You look so cool right now. And like everyone kind of started looking at him and everyone's like, yeah, you've got such a cool outfit on. And I feel like that would have just like, made his day right because he made the decision to wear this super bright outfit and like look very different from everyone else but he looks so cool and I love that that girl went after him because it was just like I always do that if I see someone on the street who is like you can just tell that they're just expressing themselves Mm. I'm like you look awesome and it just makes their day and it makes your day because you've seen someone like embracing themselves you're like that's so sick like Mm. I love that Um, and it has like a flow on effect so I feel like by dressing colorful or having colorful makeup you're like carrying an energy with you and then when you take it into the public you're like transferring that good energy to other people that's how I sort of imagine it yeah so I think it's like so much more than just makeup it's so much more than just clothes like style is a visual expression of yourself Mm. and I think that's the most powerful thing as individuals where we feel like we can become erased or like lost and Mm. a sea of noise and it's like that's just such a powerful thing to do to like wear your energy basically Mm, absolutely I love that one of the things you mentioned just before when you were first talking about like going to um, high school and having to strip back of your identity it's interesting like I also went to a Catholic girls high school so I can kind of relate to you know I wore big studs to school one day and I got told to like take them off and like you know we had very strict guidelines to you know how we had to dress basically yeah but it's interesting that you mentioned that like you grew up in all these different parts of the world so your Mm. identity was stripped away because of that not just your identity as that creative artist but also your cultural identity completely stripped I think my parents did what they did to help me fit in and to adjust to a new culture Mm -hmm. and I think by letting me adjust to a new culture they 
pulled back on like drilling down on my culture. So they're like, that was just my way of fitting in because I was moving schools quite a lot. So it's like, don't worry about what's going on with you. Like just worry about like fitting in at that moment. I feel like that's what was kind of taught to me. And then it became my way of adapting. And it's little things like my parents stopped talking um, in Punjabi in front of mm. my brother and I, but they pulled me out of Punjabi school really young because they were just like, don't worry, like we're in Australia, like just try and, you know, mm. they didn't think it was necessary. And now I'm like, kicking myself and I wish I did because I can only really understand bits and pieces, but that is my culture, my language. Why shouldn't that have been a part of my mm. experience going yeah. up? Like I really wish it was. And, you know, my parents are like born in Africa. My dad was born in Uganda. My mom was born in Malawi. So like African Indians that migrated to Australia. My dad's family was kicked out of Uganda by the dictator Idi Amin Mm. because they didn't like Indians. And he had like $10 in the bottom of his shoe. He had like choices of three places to go. They came here. And so my dad grew up kind of thinking that like Indian people were like hated. So he kind of adopted a more like Western stance himself. Mm. So he is very Aussie-fied. Like little things like his name is Raminda, but people call him Bob. Really? Mm. Wow. Mm. It's little things like that just to fit in, I guess, like Mm -hmm. that. And it worked. He was like popular in school. He was like the cool brown guy, you know? It's like, what does that even mean? (laughs) So it's little things like that, which I think transferred to me. And I was like, I've got to be like a cool brown person. Like Mm. put all the cultural away. Don't bring the Rajma to school. Like don't let mum oil my hair. Like I got to do what I can to fit in. Mum, don't wear a sari to my school formal. Like Mm. things like that, which I'm like, oh, I just like that's who I am. And that's like the best part of our culture. Like we're so lucky to have that. Mm. So yeah, Yeah, I think there's two (laughs) interesting things that you said, firstly with your dad kind of having one name when he's in the corporate world or at school and then having another name when he's at home. I feel I'm a little bit the same because my name is pronounced Sainthan, but I introduced myself as Sainthan because people at school couldn't say it. So I feel like in that way, I've got two identities. And um, with your point about losing touch with your language, I was listening to a song today by Elfresh Line, who's a Punjabi rapper, who we interviewed on the podcast as well. And he's got a song called Mother Tongue where he Mm. talks about how he was so close to his culture and being able to speak the language. But as a result of being exposed to the Western world, he felt like he had to fit in. So he let himself detach from that. And now he's going on this journey where he's trying to reconnect with his culture as an adult in this way. Mm. Where are you on that journey? Is that something you're exploring and looking into? A hundred percent, especially because I'm getting married this year. So I'm sort of reconnecting myself to like a lot of wedding traditions as well. Mm. And I'm like, I want the wedding to like reflect myself and Rahul, my partner, Mm. because we're such a mix of culture. So we have things that we feel like are very important to us. You know, he's Hindu, I'm Sikh. So Mm. like those are those things that I want to reconnect with. But then there's also like I'm a modern Punjabi Indian woman. Mm. So I need to reflect that as well. But it's little things like going to the Gurdwara when I was young Mm. was like a chore. And now I sit there and I feel like a bit more of a spiritual connection to like Mm. my culture. And I feel like a sense of calm when I'm there that I didn't experience when I was younger because Mm. I was just kind of like, oh, Um, it's little things like that. And then also I need to find that in this podcast where it goes back through all like Sikh history and it's like really, really interesting. I'm like, I need to learn about my people because It is so fascinating. Mm. And, you know, these are my ancestors. And Mm. I'm like, that's something that I need to connect with because 
it's so incredible. Mm. That's the thing. It's just so incredible. It's that like part of your culture, then you experience detachment. And then it's like that reconnection. Mm. It's almost like this full circle. And I think a lot of, exactly, you come back strong and you, I think I'm experiencing that through my art. I think that's been the vehicle for me to like reconnect. And I think by connecting on like a, I guess a visual way, it lets you dive in a little bit deeper. So yeah, I feel like I'm on that journey. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things, I mean, we love about your art as well, because you do fuse a lot of South Asian looks and you know even the colorfulness but also adding bindis and I know um you're looking into projects around like South Asian superheroes and and stuff like that so really building your identity into that was that a conscious decision or did that just come as you wanted to explore your cultural identity a little bit more and then kind of just came a bit more naturally I think it was quite a natural thing, to be honest. I wasn't really thinking about like, oh, how can I incorporate my culture? Mm. It just felt right. And I think I was being the representation that I wish I had. I was being the representation for myself and for other people. I wish I had that when I was like 10 years old, someone to look up to and be like, Mm. wow, look at that badass brown woman. Like she's absolutely killing it. And that's why I reimagine characters or different people as South Asian. For example, I did this um, TikTok I was like, if Euphoria had a South Asian character yeah. and it like went viral yeah. on like TikTok and stuff because I'm like, that would have been so cool if we had that. Mm. But you know what? Let me be that person to fill that gap. So okay. I do kind of bring a lot of culture into like a sort of pop culture, like a trend sphere. So I'll take trends, like modern trends, and then I'll make it my own. Mm. And by making it my own, it's like that is an expression of me. And I think it inspires other people to not adopt and adapt like we've been taught to do our whole lives but to take something and to make it your own and to like nourish your culture and your heritage as mm-hmm. much as you can so I think it's just powerful and it makes me feel validated yeah I, I guess as a South Asian person yeah. yeah and I think it's really cool seeing lots of other people kind of reclaim their identity and mm. bring it to their western experience in this new way and it's probably a good segue to dive into the topic that we really wanted to unpack with you yes which is cultural appropriation yeah yeah so before (laughs) we get stuck into the topic I was really interested to look at the historical aspect of it because in all honesty I feel like this was like a newer term like it was never part of my vocabulary when I was maybe in high school and Rowie I feel like we're probably around the same age I feel like it was never out and about then but then like when we were reading into it we saw that it kind of took off in the 80s and it was first used to show the relationship between colonialism and like the relationship between majority and minority groups which is really interesting because if we look at the cultures that are being appropriated now it's mostly the minority groups um and Mm. then it kind of made its way into pop culture from there yes I do remember when this resurgence of cultural appropriation came through and it was very much 2016 and it kind of Mm. became a buzzword but in fact it's an experience Mm. for a lot of uh, minority cultures so yeah I I had no idea Mm. I was completely uneducated because previous to that I was like wow if I see a white person wearing a binny I'm like yeah go you're supporting my culture I hadn't Mm. done my research Mm. and I hadn't looked at it from like a historical perspective and I hadn't looked at it from an exploiting Mm. perspective 
perspective. It's like, what does that mean? And how come it's cool when they do it, but it's not cool when I do it? Yeah. Like, that's when that really hit me. I was like, what the hell? Like, what am I doing wrong here? Yeah. Oh, wait, it's the color of my skin. Yeah. That's apparently yeah. what I'm doing wrong, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. I guess, Ro, if we were to take a few steps back for anyone listening who might not be familiar with the term cultural appropriation, in your words, how would you define it? I would say cultural appropriation is when you have a majority group who is, I guess, exploiting elements of minority mm. group for their own personal mm. gain. Actually, I think it's beyond that because it's not just an exploitation. I think it happens out of ignorance as well. And I think there was a lot of, you know, a couple of years back, oh, I didn't mean to do that. Like there wasn't my intention. It's like, no, it yeah. doesn't have to be your intention, but the impact mm. is the same. So it's not even just like, oh, you're doing it for financial gain or there's a particular tangible outcome from exploiting a minority culture, but it's just the damage that that does and the perception that it creates. Because yeah. what they're basically seeing is that, oh, it's trendy when a mm, white person yeah. does it. Like it's cool now. And that is emotional damage for yeah. brown people like us. It's like, why is it cool when they do it? Because there's nothing we can change about skin. We can't change a single thing. So like that is that moment where it kind of, hit me I was like mm. going to festivals a lot and you know I had people that I had known from high school I was seeing photos you know I was talking with my best friend as well and she's like damn that girl in high school who used to bully me is yes. now sat there with a bindi <laughs> how is that oh. right like you literally be like like what the food that you bring to school like they would just make yep. fun of you and then now they are picking I think another aspect of cultural appropriation is they are picking and choosing the parts that are most yeah. palatable to them it's like if you're gonna appropriate might take the whole culture take all of it the racism the like marginalization mm. take it all but it's just the picking and choosing of the things that mm. they want and that's not okay because yeah. we can't pick and choose exactly and that's something that i was about to say as well right like the most aggravating part is that as a younger person you get bullied for wearing like traditional clothes or you know if your mother like you said comes to school in a sari or you wear a bindi like some people wear mm. bindis all the time and surely they get questioned about like why there's a dot on their face I was just gonna say and what's that dot like, is it yeah exactly oh exactly right so yeah. then now it's like you know all of a sudden cool <laughs> to be doing all of that and now you want to <laughs> take parts of our culture when you like I know <laughs> exactly that's when it didn't sit right with me I really had to reflect to do a bit of critical thinking I actually had a conversation with my um my grandma about cultural appropriation back you know and that was really interesting to hear mm. her perspective because all the generations don't register that that is cultural appropriation I think they see it all as appreciation like I know my mom my grandma was like oh it's lovely seeing them embrace a culture but I think they're just forgetting about like the damage that does to modern people of color because we're experiencing I don't think they experience in a like a modern culture sense, like the damage that cultural appropriation mm. does to us because we feel that fracture between like someone just borrowing an aspect of a culture and it like hitting yeah. for some white people and then it's not hitting for us. Where like our parents, mm. all of our grandparents were probably just like, they just experienced hardcore yeah. racism. They didn't really get it. So yeah, it almost feels like a bit of like internalized racism that's at play here. So yeah, it's very interesting perspective hearing it from my grandma saying like, oh no, like it's fine. I'm like, but you're yeah. missing the point. Like you're missing yeah, the point. Yeah, that's interesting because yeah. to your point, like your grandma would have faced so much straight out racism that 
anyone kind of appropriating to her may have come across as acceptance, right? Like, mm. oh, exactly. look at them. They're like wearing our clothing or they're wearing a bindi. That's so cool. Yes. And in that context, I probably would have thought the same. Like I think yes. maybe anyone would have. So it's yeah. interesting how that shifted now and we're actually seeing behind it, whereas back then it would have been a completely different perspective. Mm. One thing you mentioned before as well is the fact that people are like, oh, I didn't realise that it was cultural appropriation. Instead of just apologising and just wanting to learn mm. more about it, like are people really like turning oh. that much of a blind eye? Are they that unaware? Like, it's like just don't get it. ignorance, ego. They don't want to be told they're doing something wrong. People don't want to be told they don't know how to just kind of remove their ego and just – apologize for something that is wrong and like they think that they have a say and it's like this is Mm -hmm. our experience you can't really comment because you're not really part of like their experience to really have an opinion about and I think that is kind of like the hard truth and I think people find that quite a difficult pill Mm. to swallow um they just don't want to be told what not to wear and what not to do but it's really not about that we're not policing people's actions and what they can wear it's just an education and I have gotten so many like dm arguments with people because it's so frustrating yeah and it's so hard to not get frustrated Mm. about the topic because it's like this is why it's so damaging and this is how it makes me feel can you just understand Mm. my perspective and it's so hard it's like I didn't mean to I didn't mean to it's like I get that but intent and impact Mm. are two different things and just because you didn't mean to doesn't mean that I didn't feel mm. impacted by your actions. So true. We did an episode earlier this year where we interviewed a South Asian model on her experiences with tokenism. Mm. And something we spoke about was that sometimes when it comes to tokenism, it's easy to identify because, you know, it's just in your face and you can see it very clearly. Mm. Whereas other times it's a little harder to spot because the intentions can be masked. Yes. I think cultural appropriation is different in the sense that it's, a little easier to identify because you can see very clearly that you're pulling from my culture in a way that's disrespectful or stereotyping or misrepresenting who we are mm. and what you are taking from our culture. Mm. For someone, again, who might not be so familiar, how would you say they could identify a situation of cultural appropriation? Oh, it's really hard because it is still quite like a blurred line. But I think it's like, what are you getting out of? Like, does that have any significance to you? And are you educating yourself? Like, Mm. is it like you're trying to broaden your perspective or are you just doing it because you think it looks a particular way? Because if you're trying to learn, like Mm. you don't have to wear it in order to understand and appreciate a culture. So, I mean, it's just different situations. Mm. I think if you have to question it, it, it's wrong. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, If you have to question it, then maybe steer away. Like, is this right? Should I be doing this? And I think I know everyone probably has that little inkling that pops up going, "Mm, I don't know if this is, isn't for me, but I'll do it anyway because it looks cool. Mm. If you have to question it, I would just steer clear. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Just from, I guess, my experience, and I'm sure Romy and Rowie, you'll feel the same way. I don't want to like sit on a high horse and say that cultural appropriation is a really bad thing without also acknowledging the fact that I myself have culturally appropriated Mm. in the past as well. Yes. At least from my experience, it would be a lot from the African-American like hip hop culture, which is something that I love. But then sometimes you are ignorant to the fact that you are maybe disrespecting a culture or not acknowledging their experiences enough as much as you should. And like you said, because we are a melting pot, sometimes that line can be so fine, right? Because again, the intention versus the understanding is where all of it kind of goes from something 
where you're appreciating versus something that you're appropriating. Yeah, hundred percent. Oh, I would be the first to put my hand up and say I have definitely culturally appropriated. But the difference is, is that I learnt from that experience, and mm-hmm. I think learning and growing and being able to evolve and understand the implications of my actions. I think that is the most important thing because I will never ever hold it to someone if they've culturally appropriated, and I will never go in being like, I can't believe you did this. Cancelled, cancelled. Like, yeah. not at all. Mm-mm-mm. It really is about how because yeah, you, if you don't know, you don't know, mm-hmm. right? And it's how you sort of bounce back for that and you learn into your research and you don't do it again i think that yeah. is the best outcome from a situation like that for yeah, sure definitely i was listening to a podcast which is hosted by two women with african ancestry and this is from a couple of years ago but i think the example that they were using was when gwen stefani wore cornrows and there was like a lot of backlash in the media about it and oh then god our cultural appropriation queen <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, and not to say that their views represent everyone on the matter, but yeah. what they were saying was that they're not offended by the fact so much that she's wearing cornrows. What they're offended by is how they're picking and choosing from what they want to identify from the culture. Mm, so she it. might rock the cornrows, she might rock the style, but then her mouth is shut when things like George Floyd happen, mm. right? Mm. So being selective about what you want to sweep under the rug and what you want to platform seems to kind of perpetuate this power dynamic where you're stealing and profiteering from a culture whilst letting those communities that you're benefiting from continue to be marginalized in the ways that they are yes i think that's it like nail on the head yeah it's very selective and they'll cover their ears when it doesn't apply yeah. to them yeah, yeah absolutely like even myself and my own experience speaking of cornrows when i was like I don't know, like 20, I went on a cruise with my friends and we went to like Vanuatu or something. And they had these like women who were there Mm. like doing hairstyles on people. And we're like, oh, this is so Mm. cool. Like, let's get cornrows. And like a couple of us did like half our hair or like part of our hair. We got the braids in and it's so blurry, right? In terms of what is cultural appropriation and what isn't. Like, I think if I went now, I probably wouldn't do it. Like, I don't think I would. Back then, being my ignorant self, I did. But I like it's just so, so blurry. And like what you were saying before, yeah. like if I see like you're at an Indian wedding or a South Asian wedding and I see non-Indian people or non-South Asian people wearing our clothing, for example, that doesn't offend yeah. me at all. Like I have given my friends my saris to wear because that to yeah. me, exactly. that's like you're respecting the situation we're in we're at a hindu wedding right now so you're wearing clothes that are appropriate for that those situations are Mm. fine but then it's yes other ones like you said before when you start questioning it where you think okay maybe like this isn't so fine it is a a lot about the context um yeah i do have like this experience of like this brand um like I won't name any names but this particular brand is run by two white women and Back when I was first dabbling in like brand partnerships and collaborations and all that kind of stuff, sort of like early 2013, 2014, um, this brand were like, oh, we really want to send you like bindis and stuff like that. Like we do really cute bindis, blah, 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 blah. We're two white women. We like grew up in India. Like they both have brown names. And I was like, this is great. Like, wow, wow, you're appreciating the culture, blah, 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 blah. Until I realized that at the end of the day, like the US two white women profiting off Mm. Indian adornments and like whether you grew up there lived there or not your skin color is still white and you are still 
privileged enough to profit off the culture, but not have any of the um, the marginalization and the racism mm. that comes with having brown skin. And it took me a really long time to realize I'm like, just because they lived there and that was blurry because I was like, oh, they're appreciating the culture. Mm. But again, you're taking products and then reselling them for a higher value yeah. in Australia. I'm like, that's exploitation to the T. Like it really took me a long time. And then having a conversation with them, no, they would not accept it. And like mm. that was even worse. It was like you like just from a brown woman to two white women just listen to my experience yeah. and this is where I'm coming from. But it just wasn't. It's like you couldn't get through to them. And I think because they built their whole business based off of them, quote, appreciating brownness and if that's not how it's being received, I think it would have really shook them a bit. And I'm hopefully I got sure. through to them. But that was difficult because I'm like, they probably have more of a connection to like, my culture than I do because they live there and I've never lived there. But at the same time, the white women. And there's like what you see is like they still have privilege based on the color of their skin. Yeah, so that's crazy. And the most frustrating part would be when you're trying to explain your experience, right? And then not accepting it, like not understanding it is one thing because they've never been in your shoes, but not to have your accepting. experience denied. <laughs> to have your experience yeah. denied is like really jarring. And that's yeah. happened a lot on socials. Like my experience to have people question if I'm Indian or not is another crazy yeah. thing. Yeah, <laughs> that's something that we wanted to also speak with you about. I guess talking about your experiences, people saying you're culturally appropriating Indian culture. Like, I can't. Uh, what? Your name is Rolly Singh. Like, what did they? I'm so I confused. Can't. People have made a judgment based on the color of my skin, and it's like doesn't mm. fit the definition of brown, basically. And that is another level of ignorance that I can't even begin to explain. But yeah, I mean, you can't help but laugh. I mean, it was at first I was like, what is going on? But now I'm just like, this is just funny. It's just like people don't understand that brown comes in different shades mm. it does they're just making a quick snap judgment and it is embarrassing <laughs> more yeah. than anything um it actually happened recently as well where like it was just really unfortunate because this person was trying to say that I'm not brown I shouldn't be able to claim that word because my skin is not brown um <laughs> and they were saying that brown is reserved for like black women like black women are brown and what? and I was like two things can exist at once that's true but I am mm. a brown woman that is mm. just yeah. fact at this point and like what if I'm not brown what am I white yeah, yeah. <laughs> what am that I goes back into the like colorism conversation that we've done oh on an episode exactly. as well right yeah. is yes. that you're not Indian enough because of the way you look something that you felt from our community as well not Indian enough from the way I look the way I act not being able to speak Punjabi like I get that constantly and I think some people think that I'm sort of, you know, I guess like monetizing my culture, but it has never been about that. It is all experience based. Like I'm doing what I feel represents my culture best. Like it's never, I'm not trying to profit off my culture at all, but like if anyone should be, it is brass brown women. We should be like, <laughs> like um, so I, I get that constant denial of my experience and constant denial of my identity. Like I denied my identity. Now I have other people doing it to me. So that's been a quite a mm. challenging experience to work through, but I've confident that I've created my own space. Like literally the name of your podcast, like it's the space in between two cultures. Mm. That is where I exist. And I'm, confident like that that is my own experience and no one can take that away from me so mm. it doesn't really phase me anymore to be honest it's yeah like, it just can't That's like if awesome. it did like I think my head would be like everywhere but like this is who I am and this is how I 
connect with my culture and people don't know what happens behind closed doors like they only see like a certain version of Rowie and like you know it's very personal like how mm. I connect with my culture shouldn't really be anyone else's business to be honest I think because mm. sure. I'm yeah, on my own absolutely. journey and I may be a bit behind than some other people but I'm on my journey let mm. me be yeah. Mm, yeah something I was curious to know is like how you deal with that type of commentary, like especially, you know, the whole culturally appropriating Indian culture, that sort of thing. Like I know it must get to a point where it's just like so frustrating where you're just like, just, you know, go do your research. Like, I don't know. How do you deal with that? I, again, I kind of just switch it off. And like it is because I'm so confident with who I am as a person and I'm so like I know who I am and Mm. it just is a bit nonsense Mm. like I think it's a little (laughs) bit nonsense like you kind of just can't help but be like that's ridiculous like Mm. I'm very open to feedback and Mm. if someone actually had like a critique and you know that's happened many times like I've done things that are very ignorant and has required a little bit of critical thinking completely open to that and that's completely understandable but when it's something as ridiculous as that what can you do? It's just like people are stupid to have a bit of a laugh and just like kind of brush it off. Like it yeah. doesn't affect me. Um, and I guess I have like my community who was like, what? This is ridiculous. Like people yeah. can. Yeah. Um, but I tell you one thing that did actually kind of like rock me a little bit. It wasn't like a cultural preparation or anything, but one of these looks that I created, it was like that full pearl look yep, that I did yep. without pearling. And, you know, that was like a lot of like my concept and working with my hairstylist to bring that pearl wig to life. And, you know, we spent a lot of time and it was incredible mm. content and I posted my TikTok content and stuff like that, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, some other creator who was white recreated the look and, you know, that's totally fine. They, mm. they just didn't um credit properly in the caption. They kind of credited a little bit too late. But their content, that white woman who basically created what I created identical went viral for something that was my idea. And it just, that kind of hurts. And that just shows that like in TikTok, if you're white, you're just more palatable and you're Mm. more chance of going viral. Like I genuinely think that. And I spent so much time creating this concept and someone just kind of copy and pasted. Granted, they did give me credit eventually when I asked, but then people in the comments were like, you shouldn't have to ask for credit. Like she already credited you in the comments. Oh, she did it better than you anyway. And it was, that really hurt me because I was like, a white woman has just copy pasted and she goes viral. Like what the hell? Yeah, I've had to work 10 times harder than my white counterparts to make a mark in this industry. This mm. industry is ruthless and it is inherently racist. And, mm. you know, I feel like a lot of the times the only reason why I've gotten jobs is tokenism. They just need yeah. to tick their little checkbox and get that brown person done, done, done. And I've kind of had to you know accept those jobs because if I didn't then I wouldn't be getting anything but also understand that like it's such a complicated position to be in because if I didn't do it no one would be there on the campaign Mm. there wouldn't be a brown person to represent us all so Mm. there's moments where I'm like oh it's so much harder for us it is it is so much harder there's that saying that minorities have to work twice as hard to get half as far which I think is really telling to your experience especially being the digital space which sucks to hear that you have to navigate but I think we need people like you who Mm. are speaking and sharing their stories exactly yeah um, to break the stigmas when it comes to that just just speaking to other examples of cultural appropriation that we see in the media I think, Mm. again, walking that fine line of we do have examples of people like artists like Will I Am who have gone to India, spent time with local artists, learned the music and then found a way to incorporate it in a way that is tasteful. 
Um, mm. And then you do have other examples like Major Lazer, who in one of their music clips, yeah, they have on. like a Indian outfit doing Indian, in air quotes, dances, which just does not make any sense no. at all. <laughs> Oh my um, God. Can you share a couple of the other examples which you see? Because for me, when I hear someone like Timberland sample from our culture, I'm like, this is dope. This is the two cultures that I really love, hip hop and South Asian music fused together. Yes. Yeah. But then I need to catch myself and say, hang on, is he doing a disservice to the original, um, I guess, meaning mm. and disrespecting it in any way? Kind of going through that checkbox to make sure that it mm. does kind of meet the requirements. Because at the same time, we don't want to have that cancel culture of once you do it wrong once you're out and it's not like you can't tap into our different cultures in different ways because that's what it means to be human right we're meant to be this homogenous group where we are sharing things in different ways it just has to be done respectfully yes and they absolutely can be like there can be like a beautiful fluidity between different cultures that is like all appreciation but just like sometimes it's just repackaged and spat out Mm. and just the like most lifeless way and that's when it's sort of like it's a punch to the gut and I think one that really stood out to me was Gucci had like turbans on the runway and it was like I need to find it, it was like the, um I think it was back in 2019 and they called it the indie turban and they were selling the turban for like $800 and it wasn't what? even like a riff what? of a turban it was a straight up like turban and like that just caused and I, I don't think they learnt oh um I think God. Sikhs were calling it out as like disrespectful yeah, mimicry absolutely. and it was just like that is the most overt form of cultural preparation especially when a huge fashion house like Gucci is just absolutely ripping something that is so sacred to us Sikhs and just churning it out for a profit basically um it's really bad and it's it's disappointing it's really disappointing but also disgusting and a bit gross like when it goes that far it's just like ew yeah that's (laughs) i just google imaged it this is mortifying like it is mortifying it's like oh my god in terms of like outfits (laughs) there's other examples like a few years ago rihanna took a topless photo which is like covering her boobs with the hand but wearing a necklace with a ganesha pendant on it yes yeah that's the other one i was going to yeah 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 um and also in her um savage fenty show she used one of the songs she used was like a muslim prayer and it was like a bit blasphemous yeah and i think they had to come out and apologize and stuff like that but what really baffles me is that like these brands and these people have teams they have teams and teams and teams and it just doesn't like not one person just flagged it and was like hey this might come across as offensive or cultural appropriation and the reason no one flags it is because they don't have enough people of color and higher up teams Mm. to stop it before it trickles down to the public for example like kim kardashian calling her skims before it was skims it was kimono Mm. right Mm. and it's like babe (laughs) did not one person in that room be like this is a bad idea exactly right (laughs) no one person and it's just I think like they're in little echo chambers and they're surrounded by yes mans and maybe like not enough people of color mm. on their board of directors or their teams to stop it and I think yeah that's the problem and that's something that I'm noticing a lot as well with brands is that they don't actually get it and they're not I can tell when someone is bringing me on board because I genuinely appreciate what I do as an artist, as a brand mm. woman. I can mm. definitely tell. It's clear as day versus when they're just like, hey, let's just tack her on and, you know. <laughs> yeah, tick a box, basically. Tick a box. I will never yeah. forget this yeah. very big brand, this campaign that I did. And, oh, my God, this um, 
white makeup artist was like trying to stick a bindi on my head for the shot and I felt so uncomfortable because she was absolutely butchering it as well. And I was like, what are you doing? Like, can you just have me as like mm. Rowie instead yeah. of like Rowie, look at her brownness. Like, let's mm. stick a penny, like make it really clear that she's a brown woman and we've got mm. a brown woman in our campaign. Like, God, I wanted to scream. I was like, <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, to your point, if there was like a couple of brown people at Gucci who are part of putting on this runway or part of the design team then surely they would have called it out like there's no one that would have just sat there they and would just exactly. let this happen it, it's that's mental I did not know about that and like another <laughs> um, big example is like Coachella and festival wear like it's become <gasps> it's such a thing like the bindis the outfits oh my God. it's just insane I will never forget going to a festival and it wasn't even like oh just a bindi it was this white boy in a full like kurta pajama like and I was shocked I was shocked to my core I'm like I bet you picked it up at an op shop it was like cute yeah what the heck (laughs) oh my god and then the other things like um Halloween costumes right like that's a big one and a very controversial one where like you know people wear kimonos or native mm. american indian outfits you're like also stealing those yeah. values at a really young age yeah as well, right? like, like this you is dress okay. up it's dress up to dress up not as dress like up. people yeah. who are different to oh. us yeah exactly i think people are just straight up making a mockery out mm. of a culture like surely you can see how wrong that is because it's just like making a caricature out of someone's beliefs and mm. i think that's, that's just like quite jarring and we can see it so clearly but some people it just goes over their heads so Mm. um it's just education and from education comes accountability and yeah I can't stress that enough that's like Mm. the most important thing from I guess this experience and yeah cultural appropriation is like how can we move on from that and and recognize it and nip it in the bud before you know it gets taken to the extreme so yeah yeah <laughs> it's wild out there like people <laughs> <laughs> absolutely um while we're on a run of examples i saw one when i was doing research for this episode where asos was selling a clip and they called it the chandelier clip and it was basically a ticker like what you wear on your <laughs> like when you wear I was, and they got ripped for it and i was like are you serious it's no longer a product but if you google image it you'll see it and they called it a chandelier clip. i'm sorry i just kills me every time you said that i did <laughs> i think another one is the appropriation of wellness mm. repackaged yep. white wellness yoga and like yoga yep. and like mindfulness and stuff yep. like yeah. that that's a big one and even like things like mm. gua sha's and mm. tricks and trends and beauty yep. trends that have been a staple in like south asian cultures other cultures for years and years and years and it's now been repackaged and repurposed as like you know woke and white wellness Mm, that one I just I can't like I honestly get like the ick when I go to a yoga class and it's like a white woman teaching going namaste I'm like I can't yeah (laughs) I can't I can't do it (laughs) so I guess in saying all of that in a world of cancel culture how can we have kind of constructive conversations about how we can better navigate cultural appropriation in a way that we can push everyone forward instead of pushing everyone apart. 
I think with everything, you need to sort of approach it gently and sort of not like point a finger and go in from like a very accusatory stance because I think that just puts people off. And whether you're angry or not, like I totally get it. Sometimes people are just full of rage and they just want to be like, you're doing this and this, that, but that really pushes people further away Mm. um, from what they need to learn. And so I think it's just a matter of education. I find what always helps is just linking an article. Mm. Like here's just a bit of information or here's a video. It might help you understand like this is where I'm coming from. Um, I'd love to know your thoughts and sort of making it an open conversation. Mm. I found that I get a lot of progress that way when I sort of break down that accusatory tone and that Mm. sort of barrier because it, yeah, it definitely pushes people away and that's all you can do. Educate and let that sit with them, whether they take it or not, that's not your responsibility. And hopefully they do take some sort of accountability and they learn and grow, but they may resist, but you know, maybe like they're a different person now and they might look back and be Mm. like, Oh, I really should have like listened. And I hope that's where we're going. I don't know if that's like a bit of like a optimistic viewpoint, but I hope that people are, just taking it on board and just listening. I think that's really all you can do. Just please listen to people and hear them yeah. out because that's their experience. And yeah, I think that shouldn't be denied at all. Yeah, yeah, Love absolutely. That. Not undermining other people's experiences, right? Like what you said before. Yeah. yeah. Well, Rowie, I guess on a different note, yeah. we've loved seeing all of the ways that you've really grown your brand and yourself as an individual. You've recently launched Embellished by Rowie, which is super exciting. What's next for you? Oh, I just, um, you know, I'm going to keep going. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just going to, I guess just like keep creating content I think a lot of the time I get asked like what's next but like I think what I want to do is just have a lot of gratitude for where I've come and Mm. just kind of slow down and it's been a really busy year and I think it's just about like doing what makes me happy and I think that's just you know creating content connecting with my community um, being able to be creative you know pushing my like skill set a little bit with like embellish and learning a bit more of like a business operational side of things I definitely want to keep going with that I think um I'd love to do like workshops and stuff like that to like make what I do a little bit more tangible and create experiences out of it so Mm. that people can attend and like, you know, teach people about things like color theory and color psychology and how that ties into like confidence. And I would love to do that. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Sign us up. (laughs) (laughs) We end our episode with a thought provoking question, which our previous guest has left for our next one. So our last guest was Kishwa Chowdhury, who was a finalist on MasterChef Australia oh from last year. I love <laughs> Yeah, sorry. <laughs> the, the question that she left with you is, life is too short for bad meals. So what is your death row meal? <gasps> oh, man. The hardest question we've asked you today. <laughs> no. I'm hungry now. I think, I think aloo puri. Oh, and nice. Yeah, aloo puri or like... My mom's like homemade kitchidi, mm. something like that kind of something, something, yeah, something wholesome, something that also kind of because sometimes food is like tied to like nostalgia and like moments. And so like there were things that my mom would make for me that were like comfort meals and she would make like a subji that was kind of like her, she would just like remix a whole bunch of ingredients together. And so like meals like that where I'm like, it's tied to a memory. Mm. I'm yeah. drooling. Okay. <laughs> <now>. <laughs> and uh, do you have a question to leave for our next guest? Mm. can be anything um oh god um 
What would be the first thing you would tell an extraterrestrial being if they landed here? That is such a good question. How did you just come up with that? That's such a good question. (laughs) Like if they could understand you, like what would be the one thing you would tell them straight off the bat? I'd be like, get out. (laughs) I'd be like, it's not good here. (laughs) Wrong way. Go back. I'm keen to see what our next guest says in answer to that. We'll let you know. (laughs) Well, Robbie, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. You are a delight. (laughs) We can't wait to see everything else that's in store for you. Also, very excited to see all the wedding content and how all of that plans out. So congratulations on that. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This was really great. Thanks, Rory. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. We wanted to cover the topic of cultural appropriation for some time now, and there was no one better we could think of than the incredible Rory to help us do it. Join us next time for our interview with exec coach and psychologist Gajan Ravichandra to unpack career hurdles and stigmas and how Eastern and Western cultures navigate them differently. We'll see you then. Bye.